A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools. Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. How's it going, Sean? I'm good, Phil. How are you? I'm, do you know what? I'm absolutely brilliant. We are, as a country, we are riding high on the crest of a wave, all thanks to a bunch of ladies called the Lionesses who won the European Championship last night. We are recording this on Monday did you watch the game? I did, and um, I was sat here watching it. Uh, it was amazing how much of Three Lions, uh, the song that everyone knows, isn't it? I didn't, you know, I haven't heard that song. Well, I know we heard it uh, last year, actually, didn't we? With when the, when the guys were doing their thing, but um, yeah, and amazing that 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 uh, was it. Who was it? Frank Skinner and uh, what was he called? Skinner and Badil, David Badil. Yeah, Skinner and Badil. Yeah, you know, back in all of our childhoods. In Euro '96, football's coming home, and it did come home. It was unbelievable, um, as we experienced, as we talked about in uh, the very first episode. Like I wouldn't be, I don't like the term plastic plastic fan. Uh, I'm going to put that out there, but I I wouldn't be the world's biggest football fan. Um, so I didn't watch all of it. I have to say, but I did sit myself down last night. I watched all the final, and. Um, yeah, I wasn't like sat here crying or anything, but it was emotional. It was great. It was, you know, it was absolutely brilliant to watch. Yeah, it really was fantastic. The, the, do you know the scary thing about that? That song from Euro '96. You're absolutely right. Thirty years of hurt. That song was 26 years ago. How old are we all, by the way? Because that is frightening, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. I don't really want to talk about it, to be honest. I mean, I, I know every word of that song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have done for all those years, yeah. So, fifty odd years. Um, oh, it's a long time, isn't it? Uh, and now that I think, I, I mean, I guess, like, I know, you know, we want to talk about inclusivity and unity, and you know, England's one team. It doesn't, you know, whether it's you know men or women, but um, like this, this heaps it on the men, doesn't it? Now, like the pressure now. Um, does it or, or well, doesn't it? I don't know. I suppose that's one way to look at it. I mean, there, there's a World Cup at the end of the year. I guess it does. But 
interestingly, I, I mean, I've I've announced female boxers, female rugby players, female snooker players, female darts players, and women's sport is growing. Okay, there's absolutely zero doubt, and I think the performances in the Euros and them winning the Euros is is really going to work wonders for that. As someone with a, a young daughter, as, as you've got as well, I see that as a, a brilliant thing. I really do, because I think it's really positive for them. But it begs the big question, okay? If women are now really succeeding at what were traditionally men's sports, could this go the other way? So could we see men really having a proper crack at, at traditional women's sport, like maybe netball or, I don't know, even pool? I mean... You know, I just can't bring myself to talk about pool. Just like pool's only played by people who can't play snooker. You know that. Um, yeah, no, I just, uh, I, 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 will it? I don't. I don't really don't know. I, 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 you know, I'm for all opportunities. I'm for equal opportunities. So you know, I think everyone should have the chance to to have a go at anything they want. I think the only barrier to success in these things should be ability. Um, and you know what? You can only beat what's in front of you, can't you? And fair play to those ladies. You know, they've gone through the tournament. Uh, I don't think they were favourites to win the tournament at the start of it. Um, uh, and, of course, you know, it's at Wembley. Uh, it was against the Germans. Uh, England scored for Germany. Obviously, they were going to equalise. Was there any ever quite any doubt about it? And it had that real... I don't know about you. I, I thought it had that real bad smell of penalties coming. I, I was I was watching it through my uh, fingers at one stage. Um, yeah, I listen. The the one thing I would agree, you know, definitely go along with is that you know success like that on a national scale like that, you just don't know what that does to you know young young children out there watching, young girls out there watching, seeing these idols seeing these girls who are going to become their heroes and their idols um lifting up the trophy you know it's what got me into snooker watching my idol lift a trophy um and who knows now you know when we see an explosion in the years to come um who's to say it wasn't all because of that uh, that massive moment last night i thought it was epic yeah it certainly feels like a, a very big moment so well done the lionesses another female sports person who's been successful this weekend as well. Rhianne Evans has become the, the UK champion again for the, I think that's, I think that's Rhianne's, I think that's her 89th UK championship win. Um, <laughs> now, well done, Rhianne. That is a, a great result uh, once again, because she's not been having it all her own way the last, uh, last couple of years. It's been, it's been pretty tough and she's on the tour and everything else. And again, women's snooker is growing, which is fantastic. Now, couple of weeks since our last podcast which by the way thank you to everyone again for the kind comments we've been we've been in the apple charts in places like new zealand and italy sean this is uh, unheard of but one thing from the last podcast that seemed to really strike a chord with people was something that i thought was always going to be a bit of a jokey feature which was your rant but um people have been really sort of getting behind by some lovely messages we both have haven't we yeah, absolutely. And I think just touching back on the rant a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, obviously these things are going to be a bit jokey every now and again. And of course, there'll be serious things as and when. Um, but but I think um, I just think that general concept of not really taking responsibility for what we say, uh, innocently enough, of course, you know, we're not always talking about people who are upsetting you on purpose or saying nasty things on purpose. But, you know, it, it's that old saying of if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But it's a, you know it's a step further than that, which is just just have a little think. 
uh, about how these words are going to affect somebody. And, you know, if it's not going to be positive, do you really have to say it? And, yeah, you're right. Like the feedback, people were connecting with me on socials in the last two weeks, you know, some people saying, well, you, you know, you really hit a nerve there. I've been struggling with a family member or a work colleague or whatever it might be. And people saying, yeah, you know, particularly particularly where weight's concerned, I think um, people do, they, they sort of have a blind spot about it. And, um, you know, maybe a little bit more awareness is, is what we all need. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, big man, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? I joke, <laughs> of course, because I can the last couple of weeks, Sean... You had to say it, you had to say it. Do you know what, though? What I take away with one hand, I shall give with the other. You're playing well. Don't sound so surprised, <laughs> Phil. Like, you know, I, I used to be quite good at snooker. I'll, yeah, I'll no, give you that. You're not, you're not bad, actually. You you got through your Championship League group. You so narrowly missed out in the next stage as well. You Winning against Ricky Walnut... Uh, Ricky Walnut? Ricky Walden, even. <laughs> I, we nicknamed him the Walnut once. Didn't go down well. We'll never do that again. Anyway, narrowly missed out. You were ahead. You missed that red. So close. But really good signs, though, Sean. Yeah, really good signs. You know, I started off in the in the group stages, um, the toughest group with Ben Mertens, Jushi, and Liam Highfield. Um, you know, I came through those matches. I mean, the two-each draw with uh, Ben Mertens to kick things off with was dicey. We both had, well, at least two outrageous pieces of good fortune. Um <laughs> Uh, and one led to me winning what was the fourth frame and produced the draw. Uh, but I suppose two each was probably a fair result there. Played well in the other games, had some centuries. Uh, I think I made maybe five or six centuries uh, in total throughout the Championship League. Uh, and the one thing I noticed about my own game specifically, but I think it goes for you know all players out there, any players you know, we're amateurs or pros even listening to this podcast. I really do think it's a bit of a generalisation, this. I really do think that the quicker you play, the better you play. And there were times last season where my average shot time dragged into the low to mid-20s, you know, proper dropped anchor for me. You know, once I get past 23, 24 seconds, you know, it, it has a real negative effect on my game. And I went back and had a look at what my ASTs were for some of those games uh, against Highfield, I had 144 and 103. Now, that is going to produce a quicker time, of course. But my AST was 17 seconds for that match. Um, in the second stage against Slesser, I had 100 and 112 at 18 seconds a shot. And so, you know, for me, looking at where I can improve and where I take this information into this coming season, interestingly enough, the European Masters qualifier, which was sandwiched between the Championship Leagues, my AST crept up to 20 seconds a shot and my performance against Dean Young wasn't quite as good as it had been in Championship League stages one or two. So for me, I think that's something I'm going to, you know, try and monitor throughout the season, use those stats that are there uh, and in general, try and play quicker. So there you go. You heard it here first. Get on Sean for the shootout. He's going to be absolutely flying, man. <laughs> Sean the Rocket Murphy, as we're going to rename him. Now... Championship League was won by Luca Brissell. Absolutely no shocking that won the, the Scottish Open last year, and he's a player that um, he could win a lot of big titles yet, couldn't he? Oh, he's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, I was first made aware of Luca. Um, I mean, it, it must be it must be the bones of fifteen years ago now. 
uh, by Chris Henry, who who obviously lives out in Bruges and well aware of snooker in Belgium. And he messaged me and said, you've got to watch this video. He sent me a link to a YouTube video of a, long, a young Luca Brassel practicing away, um, clearing the lineup. He cleared it. He cleared it right-handed. Cleared it left-handed. Uh, and I think he was knocking some balls in one-handed. Chris said, this guy is one of the most talented players I've ever seen. And on his day, uh, when he has a run, I mean, it took a it took a Zintong in unbelievable form to stop him winning the UK Championships uh, the back end of last year. And possibly more, even more impressive than just winning a tournament itself was how he dug himself up the following week, went to the Scottish Open, which was in Clandudno, which was weird. We'd never really talked about that. Um, from the disappointment, I thought I thought more impressive than just winning the tournament was the fact that he won it the week after such a disappointment of losing in the UK Championships. That, to me, tells me a lot about Luca Brussel. You know, obviously, we know how talented he is and what a player he is. You know, they talk about a single ball potter. You know, he would be up there for that conversation. But the mental toughness to endure a disappointment like a UK final loss and then get up in the car straight to the next event and win it, that tells me a lot about him. And if he if, if, if he can bring those things together, if he could just be a little bit more consistent every now and again, like we all do, but every now and again he'll miss a real howler. Um, he could be a real danger man this year. He could. You know, didn't Mark Allen do exactly the same thing a few years ago? Didn't he lose to, I think it was Ronnie in the UK at York, went up to Scotland, and I think he won the Scottish Open. I'm sure Mark Allen did exactly the same thing. Well, I'm not sure if you're saying that to be nasty or not, because he beat me in the final on a fluke. So I don't know if you brought that up on purpose, Mr. Seymour. Do you know what? I actually didn't. I was the announcer for that tournament. I didn't do that on purpose. Is that right? You were in the final against him? There's no need to be like that. I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a low blow. Um, yes, no, that, I think that is absolutely right. I think, I think, I think he lost to O'Sullivan in York. Um, we both made the trip up to Glasgow. And, um, yeah, we had a great week. And, uh, you know, it was well documented at the time. We, we enjoyed quite a social week. It was Christmas markets in Glasgow. Uh, we, we both partook in a few, uh, uh, what is it? Is it glue vine or something like glue that? Glue vine, wonderful it. stuff. Love we, glue vine. We both got stuck into a bit of Christmas spirit that week and um, found ourselves against each other in the final, which, you know, Mark does like to lord over me from time to time. But he did... There's no getting away from it. He fluked match ball. And uh, I was absolutely sick. Now, of course, I won the UK Championship with a fluke ping to the middle as well. So, you know, listen, I suppose, you know, Mark giveth and Mark taketh away. Absolutely. But that, anyway, that was Championship League. European Masters, as you've already said, you beat Dean Young. You, you won the qualifier. You will be going out to Firth in Germany in, uh, in a few weeks' time. Fantastic stuff. Got to give a massive pat on the back for a real legend of the sport. The wind, of course, Jimmy White. He he beat Andrew Padgett, I think, 5-4, um, which means he has now won a ranking event match in six different decades of his life. That is phenomenal. I mean, what what a thing to be able to do. That That really is amazing. Jimmy White has now won a ranking event match in six different decades of his life. Astounding. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that on Twitter the other day and I was trying to work out the maths of it and it's still, it's still hurting my brain that. You know, when did he join the tour then? 
Well, he, he won. He won a ranking <laughs> event match seven, in his seven when he joined the tour. No, no, he won. He won one in his teens. So that's one. Twenties. That's two. Thirties. That's three. Forties. That's four. Fifties. That's five. Sixties. That's six. Well, it's unbelievable. I mean, the longevity. In all seriousness, the longevity of the man is uh, astounding. And you know, he still puts the time in. Um, he still believes he can be competitive. And when he when he turns out performances like that, who's to say who's to say he's wrong? Um, I was was he, he he was some way behind in that match as well. Mm. Um, I, I, I I didn't see the match, but he, he was either four nil behind or four two behind. Um, either way, um, of course, he, he could have been both, of course, but e- either way, um, you know, Andrew Padgett knows his way around a table. Um, very, very good player on his day. And, 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 you know, Jimmy just must have dug in the memory banks. He hasn't forgotten how to, you know, he's one of the best players of all time. Yeah, when, when he gets when he gets on a roll, he's still, even now, he still takes some stopping, doesn't he? So, fantastic. Do you know, the um, Waterfront Hall Belfast at last year's Northern Ireland Open, I was up there by the Eurosport studio and this, this chap came up to me. He says, oh, Phil, he said, could you, could you just, um, could you get Jimmy White for me? And I looked across and there's Jimmy sat in the studio and I thought, oh, uh, you, you never know what someone's going to say. He says, could you, could you get Jimmy? I said, okay, fair enough. So I went across, there's Jimmy. I said, this, this guy on here has asked if he can see you. And Jimmy looked at me and said, okay, Phil. He says, can you just, um, just hang around though, just, just to make sure. I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jimmy went across, he said, hey, are you all right? Shook his hand. And this guy said to me, he said, uh, I, just, I just wanted to say, Jimmy, you did an exhibition in my village in wherever it was in, in Ireland um, 18 years ago or 20 years ago or something. He said, and every time you gave the referee the rest back, you thanked them. And every time they gave you the referee, you thanked them. He said, I just wanted to say how lovely it was to see how polite you were. And I thought, how lovely is that? Just the, the fact that this guy wanted to say that to I think he probably just wanted to speak to him, wanted to say that to him. And Jimmy sort of looked at me as if to say, yeah, you're dismissed, Phil. You can go now. I don't need your security. Thank you very much. <laughs> Off you pop. But it was just how, you know, how lovely is that, that, that someone took the time just to, wanted to go and say just how polite you are. I thought it was lovely. It was a nice, nice moment, really. Yeah, do you know, and do you know the good thing about snooker is, you know, we all do these shows and exhibitions. And of course, you don't know who you're running into. Do you? you don't know who's... Um, you know, you, you, to be careful, really, like what you say and what you don't say, and just be professional. And you know, because people remember. Yeah, they do. And um, we're so lucky in snooker that the vast, vast majority um, of people who follow the sport, who come to exhibitions, come to shows that we put on, and obviously tournaments as well. The the vast majority of people are lovely, and you know, they just love the sport. They love the players. Uh, and just want to just want to be part. But I think, like with Jimmy, obviously, like you know, we can run out of superlatives with somebody that aren't Jimmy White. But you, you know, when you know somebody so well, you know, I I, I met him when I was I think uh, ten year old. You know, I've known him I've known him nearly thirty years, and you forget. It's very easy to forget that these people. You know, I can ring him for a coffee now. If I I can ring him and say, do you fancy going for a coffee now? You know, but it, these people are like. Well, certainly, I know they're known all over the world, but British sporting royalty, like, can't walk down the street. You know, that, that, that's who this person is. And I was sat watching one of my favourite shows there the other night, um, Car SOS, for anyone who wants to know, <laughs> which is an unbelievable show. Anyone who, even, anyone who has any interest in cars needs to watch this show. 
Uh, anyway, the general premise is they take a car that's, you know, been, been you know, abused or whatever over years, and the person who owns it was either fell into ill health or whatever, couldn't couldn't redo the car. The presenters steal the car without that person knowing, and they give it back to them a month later, fully renovated, absolutely back to new. And it's, it's actually quite an emotive show. And I randomly turned one on the other night, put one on. I thought, I'll just watch this before I go to bed. And Jimmy was on it. Jimmy was on just, Car SOS, really? It, it just turned out that, because they always try and do like a, um, a, a, you know, an inventive way of giving the car back to its owner once it's done. And they've done all sorts of surprises, the two presenters, uh, Tim Shaw and uh, Fuzz Townsend. They've done all sorts of things. But they, this one particular one, the owner of this car, was a massive, massive Jimmy White fan. And so they managed to arrange it where this guy would meet Jimmy for a, for a mock pretend interview on a bus of all things <laughs> and when the bus pulled up at its destination your man's car was waiting for him and it was just you know you watch this guy meeting his absolute hero in jimmy white and you forget you just it's so easy to forget these 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 people who we mix with and who i'm lucky enough to call friends now having been on tour for so long they are british sporting royalty and um People love them. You know, that, that was one of those one of those moments. I was at the, the Watford Coliseum for the shootout and I'd I'd done a couple of tournaments. I'd not done I'd not done that many. I'd done a couple and um I was walking, it's a bit of a, a rabbit warren, a rabbit run around the back of the uh, the Coliseum. And I went to open a door and the door opened as I went to grab it and it was Jimmy. And he held the door, he says, Oh after you, Phil. I said, Oh thanks a lot, Jimmy, you're all right. He said, Yeah, yeah, I'm good, Phil. Good, Phil, good to see you. And he walked through and the door shut and I just stood there for a moment and I thought, just a second. Jimmy White knows my name. And you know, you know, when you start, you have to stand there just for a second, you just think, wow, that, that's really weird. Cause I grew up watching him play and, you know, I idolized the way that he played because it was, it was incredible. I think everyone did at the time. And it was just one of those moments that it sort of hits you like a wet fish around the face. And you just think, Jimmy White knows my name. That is bizarre. Anyway, look, we are risking becoming a snooker podcast, the way you're talking about average shot times, things like that. So let's move on very quickly. <laughs> European Masters, there's been some shocks. Ollie Lines beat Tom Ford. That is some kind of shock. Scott Donaldson knocked out John Higgins. Massive shock, that one. Um, Dave Gilbert went out 5-1. Maguire and Joe Perry, Steve McGuire and Joe Perry, they're both out as well. But one thing that has been talked about a lot, and we, we've talked about it in the week, a lot of the Chinese players couldn't get back to China in the off-season. Flights were thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds absolutely crazy money so what a lot of them have done is stayed here and practiced 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 that has really shown in the results because a lot of these young chinese players are coming into this season really really hot aren't they well i think i think we're enough matches into the season now to you can you can very easily see who's been playing over the summer and who hasn't you can see a lot of the players who you know reside at Victoria Snooker Academy or Dings Academy in Sheffield, and a couple of the other ones you've got um, the one up in the northeast that Mike Dunn is part of, you know, helping out as a lot of players play up there. You can really see um, where the players are and who they are that have been grafting. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, particularly I thought with Championship League, uh, the man that Luca beat in the final, Lu Ning you know, not really, not done a great deal through his career to this point. But, you know, the Championship League has become such a tough event. It's such a tough event to get anywhere near the, you know, the final stages. Um, and he he came well. He, he played very, very well. Uh, in fact, 
he, he lost the match 3-1 in the final. Um, he had a 60-odd break in the very first frame. There was a break of 60 and over in every frame of that match. Yeah. Uh, and Looning had a 67, I think, in the first, but went on to lose it. And, of course, if he, if he, you know, those types of frames at the end of a season are the ones that make the difference where, you know, you should have won them and you didn't. A bit like my match against Ricky Walden to qualify for the final stages. Had a 60-odd break in one of the frames and went on to lose it. Um, they're the frames that really make the difference. Obviously, someone who's been working very hard in the what we call the off-season uh, won't have put his cue down, and you can see it. And already... Some of the, you know, the more household names who haven't started the season well, um, they're already, you know, not behind the eight ball, but you know, they go to the European Masters if they've qualified or they've got to wait a long time now um, for some more snooker. Absolutely. Do you, do you think I'm generalising, really generalising here? But do you think some of the UK players um, take too long off in the off season? Do, do you think? And <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about your good self Sean but do you think some players take too long off oh without question I, th- I think there's a I think there's an element of uh, historical habit there with a lot of players you know some players who you know they go back to the pre-Barry Hearn era and even the pre-Sir Rodney Walker era uh, and they remember the good old days where you'd get virtually three months off after the world championships you, you know it was unheard of and Stephen Hendry wouldn't have ever played snooker you know May June July probably August in his life, you know, when he was at the, the, the top of his powers. Snooker didn't exist, certainly not in Europe, um, you know, during the summer months. That was you put your cue down, you got the golf clubs out. And I think to some degree, you know, for myself, for instance, growing up in that era, that was what I, that was what I learned. That was, that was, that was, you know, as a professional player, you, pl- you play out the world championships, then you put your cue down. Yeah, which is... I was going to say something. Many professions where that happens, like you know. No, it's understandable. I mean, particularly with the, the amount of travel when when China's open and everything else, it's, you know, players do spend a lot of time away from home, and you know, it's. You, I guess you need that time. You need that break at home. So, anyway, that is the last couple of weeks of snooker. After this, we'll be coming in hot with Sean's rant. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. 
If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words, at 147pod. Right, Sean, the, the listeners can't see you, but I can see you there limbering up, getting ready. Now, last week, you went quite deep. You went quite serious. You went a little bit dark at times. Okay, it was still a rant, but you did get deep. You did get serious to get dark. You touched a few people's hearts. Which is marvelous. Was I like Anik? Was I like Anik in Skywalker when he's on the when he's on the turn? I've no idea what you're talking about there. But what? What? Listen, right? No, let's not get into this because my my son will go mental. There's three Star Wars films. All right, there's Star Wars. There's Empire Strikes Back. There's Return of the Jedi. Star Wars starts and ends there. Let's not get into that conversation because that would be me ranting as opposed wow. to you, and I would upset my 15 year old son. However, wow. It is time for your rant. I see you more as Yoda than Anakin, if I'm completely honest, Sean. Um, mm. Exactly. Right. <laughs> this will start by me saying rant. It will end, as always, with the klaxon of doom. It is Sean's rant. Sean Murphy, are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, rant. Right, well, this week's rant is, you know semi-serious but uh, you know I, i'm not sure i'm going to make it through the one minute 47 if i'm completely honest <laughs> but i'm gonna just say it wasps 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 what are they here for i was i was playing golf the other day i put my new aftershave on which had nothing to do with 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 insects so i thought within minutes accosted by wasps absolute bane of my life they they bring no positivity to anything the humble honeybee has a role to play pollinates very very pleasant i quite like a honeybee no problem with them enjoy eating honey like it like it on a nice bagel with a bit of smoke that's really nice but the wasp like what does it bring to the world it brings absolutely nothing to us they're indiscriminate they don't even care how, who they sting. They will sting absolutely anybody for any reason. They couldn't give a monkeys. They don't care if they come for your throat, for your ear, for your arm, for your finger. There's an abs- no need for them to be here whatsoever. Little, I can't say what I think of them because we'd be taken off the air, but they just bring nothing to society. They should all be exterminated immediately if not sooner and if i never saw another one for the rest of my days i'd be a very very happy man um you know that's me that's me all blown out i've got nothing more to say about the wasps they're a joke they're a joke of society don't like them at all that is your one minute 47 (laughs) seconds okay right now just a second so these these wasps Sorry, they come for your arm. What, what do they take it away? Do they bite it off? What's what's that all about? Have you ever been stung by a wasp? I don't think so. No, well, they, you know, a bit like the. I mean, I'm to be honest with you, um, that rant, you know, wasn't my best work. I, 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 I'll accept that. Mainly because I was blown away by the Star Wars uh, news. <laughs> uh, you've knocked me there it just means you're not you, you can't now take part in any talks about star wars really because days your star wars knowledge is obviously lacking if you haven't been stung by a wasp then i mean 
well, I mean, I don't know why, I don't know how you've avoided it, but it is possibly one of the most painful things in the world. Have you ever uh, killed a fly? Have I ever killed a fly? Have you ever killed a fly? Yes. Have you ever killed a spider? Yes. So on their podcasts, the, the spiders and the flies, what do you think they're saying right now about Sean Murphy? Yeah. It's not really something I want to think about, if I'm honest. Um, oh, sent me all funny that. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So Sean does not like wasps, okay? Wasps, what's the point? Get in touch with us on social media at 147pod. What do you think? What, what do you think about wasps? What do they bring? I am sure there will be, is it entomologist? I think that's the right term. I don't actually know. There will be a wasp expert out there somewhere who is going to give us all the reasons on Twitter as to why wasps are wonderful should exist and we need them so tell us at 147 pod across social media wasps are they all that i'm sure they're buzzing to get in touch oh you went there didn't you you're welcome that is shocking anyway right we have had literally dozens and dozens of listeners questions in we've got a few that we've held over from last time once again as always if your questions don't get on the podcast really sorry we cannot get them all on they've been literally loads so we're going to get through as many as we can i will begin with snooker hair on twitter snooker hair gets really involved on social media by the way great stuff loves one, it one for you sean after helping stan moody mini sean murphy is coaching <laughs> something you can see yourself doing more of in the future yeah i i mean the, i suppose the, the short answer to that is yes um you know i i'm i'm not not everyone knows but i'm i'm quite heavily involved uh, with the WPBSA coaching scheme and the great work that the guys do there, particularly with Chris Lovell, um, you know, who pretty much runs that with Andrew Highfield. You know, they do an immense amount of work that goes completely unseen. Um, now, you'll see these guys running Q-Zone at tournaments and everyone thinks they just, that's what they're there to do. You know, the, these guys are training. Anyone, any, you know, official coaches around the world with a WPBSA accreditation have had to go through one of the courses that these guys have written. Um, and so they, they do an immense job um, of, of growing the game, really. You know, and, and of course, if you're out there looking for coaching, you know, starting with an accredited WPBSA coach is a, is a good place to start. Would I like to do some of it in the view? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, I, I think coaching and sharing that knowledge is, 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 I think it's something, I think you almost owe it to the sport, really, you know, to try and put something back. And um, I, I must admit, you know, I've enjoyed my time so far uh, help, help, trying to help Stan. Um, it's really interesting to, to watch, you know, and, and to, to listen to, um, you know, obviously somebody so young and their opinions. And, of course, the way he sees the game, uh, is a little bit different to how I see it because he's 15. So, he, you know, he's going to see things differently. Um, but it, it's a great joy once you do give that knowledge to somebody to then see them put it into their game and watch them improve. And, um, yeah, I hope to do more of it. Fantastic. I've got Yeah, just on, on what you said about uh, Chris Lovell and, and Andy Highfield, yeah, absolutely top blokes. If people that, that go to tournaments will know, when I'm on a tournament, I can often be found in Q-Zone messing about with those fellas, having a few shots on the tables and... And having a laugh, but on a really serious point, they do a brilliant job. They they really do do a brilliant job. And when you do go to tournament, do go to Q Zone, do go and have a play on those tables. It's great. From the coaching side of things, as someone that I've coached, I'm a rugby coach, um, qualified rugby coach. I've coached juniors at York, and players I've coached have gone on to score. I think one scored in a Super League Grand Final, another one scored at Wembley for York. 
it's a great feeling when you, when you coach someone and they come through like that and, and do amazing things. So, yeah, I think I think you you make a very good point, Sean. I think it, it makes a lot of sense and uh, it's something I'd be be glad to see you doing more of. So, yeah, fantastic. I just hope I'm retired by the time anyone I've helped comes through. <laughs> what what you 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 know you're going to draw Stan in the first round of the shootout, don't you? That's bound to happen. Absolute million percent, million percent going to happen, <laughs> million percent. Uh, right, um, Greenwood ninety nine on Instagram uh, gets in touch. Says, uh, given you are now very successful, not sure about that. Um, do you give back to the community, charities, etc.? And if so, which do you support? Well, it's um, it's topical, that isn't it? Because it's kind of how this whole thing was formed through our you know friendship that developed through Snooker's Biggest Loser that we did a couple of years ago. And of course, that was for two good charities, wasn't it? Up in your hometown of York. Um, Sorry, one charity in York and the Jesse May Trust, I should say. Um, but historically, um, I, I was a patron, personally a patron of the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital charity. Um, and uh, through a family connection, you know, you, you know, I think you reach that point of um, just, uh, I think, where you want to start giving something back as, as best you can, you know. And, of course, in snooker, you know, we're not uh, at the level of wealth of, you know, a footballer or golfers or tennis players, you know, at the very top echelons anyway. And so you're not able to to, to give fortunes back at all. But um, I remember watching the golf and uh, there was a thing with Phil, Phil Mickelson. And they said that at uh, this one particular point in his career, every time he made a birdie, he gave $500 to the, um, the wives of uh, all the families of, you know, army veterans and things in the States and something like that. And I just thought, geez, that's, that's a good idea. So I, I took it up. I'd said every time I make a century break um, going forward, I'm going to put a hundred pounds aside uh, and give that every year to the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. Now we're not talking fortunes, especially the way I play. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was nice to be involved. I was involved with them for, for some time. And, uh, you know, it was um, it was good to see that as again, you know, although it wasn't fortunes, um, you know, it did it did make a difference to, to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've um, I've organized a few different charity events. Obviously, we did Snooker's Biggest Loser the, the other year. Um, I've volunteered at, at Kitchen for Everyone, which is the, the homeless charity in York that we we raise money for. Um, I host various different charity events each year. Um, one for the Sepsis Trust, which I think has made one hundred thousand pounds in two years, which is fantastic. So, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important that people, I think especially now, um, we talk about social media a lot and you look at the platform that, that you have, certainly. It's not just necessarily just giving money as much as anything. A lot of it is raising awareness and, and encouraging other people to do things as well, which I think is a big thing. And and giving publicity, Jesse May, um, which is World Snooker Tours supported charity, is a charity that I always try and promote. If you look on social media, I'm, I often try and promote them on there and and move them forward and, you know, they sell raffle tickets at, at events and things like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, we, we both sort of do do what we can. Anyway, moving on. Neil Wright on Twitter and Shrewsbury1995 on Instagram. Two, two pool questions. Few people have asked this first one, actually. Should the cue ball have dots on to show the spin? And should jump shots be allowed? In snooker? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, do you remember a couple of weeks ago I was talking about I wanted to have the misrule removed from the game? Um, my only other thing that I want to uh, in the world is I want the cue ball to have spots on. Oh, there you go. Then. Because we're, we're, we're currently the only uh, cue sport in the world 
that uses a plain cue ball. And so anyone watching has absolutely no idea of the spin or what the players, how they're manipulating that cue ball. And I just think it would make the game so much better to watch. Um, I know it's something that the, certainly the, the broadcasters are quite keen on. Um, but I know that over the years, it's you know it's not a new idea. It's something that's been talked about for for many many years. That was blocked at board level, you know, uh, a long long time ago. There were some key players who were board members who were just you know completely opposed to it. Um, but but I, I genuinely believe that having a spotted cue ball would enhance the viewing of snooker for everybody. Uh, I think it would make the coverage so much better. Um, and yeah, and with the jump shot, like I've never played a jump shot in my life, certainly <laughs> not on purpose. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to do it. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I don't think, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not allowed in snooker, um, but I don't really see any reason why why it wouldn't be. Do you? I, I don't know if it, it it changes the skill to an extent. Um, I, I just think it, it changes the skill of having to to use the angles or, or use side to get out of that position. I think it it's a complete skill change. The, I think the, the dots on the cue ball, I, I agree with you. I think it, it just makes... I'm, I'm amazed it's, it's not been done before or by now, to be honest. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. Jump shots, mm, I, I personally, not a fan because I think it does change the skill somewhat. As you've said, you've never played a jump shot. You're, you're what, top 10 in the world? You've never played jump shots. So if that, if that was brought in, you'd have to suddenly start learning how to play jump shots. Or, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd start getting taken out by some, some younger players coming through that have played them more often. So, personally, jump shots for I've me... I've played plenty of miscues, if they count, <laughs> where the cue ball's jumped, but never actually done it on purpose. Perhaps not quite. But, uh, yeah, so I think dots on the cue ball, yeah, we're, we're both in favour of that. Jump shots, maybe not so much. Uh, right, we've got Philip Greaves here on Instagram. Uh, he's wrote in to ask, which is harder, the one four seven? Hole in one or a nine data? Right. I'm not going to answer this. Park that for now because I've had a little bit of an idea as how we can finally put that one to bed once and for all. And in the coming weeks, it will become obvious exactly how we're going to do that. But I've got a bit of an idea on that. So watch this space is what I would say on that. So I'm not going to answer that one. Sean, are you? is it right you're in a, the unique club of one that you've done all three of those? I mean, I'm, I've, I'm, you know, self-declared club of one. Um, I had a hole in one at uh, Royal Whirlington Golf Club down near Newmarket. Right, just uh, a second. Royal Whirlington. That sounds like a made-up course, if I'm honest. Sounds like a uh, one of those courses with windmills on, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> you know, clowns' faces and stuff. It's actually, it's a very pleasant golf course, actually. Um, so I had a, I had a hole in one there uh, on a on, on a par three, obviously. Um, I've had a few 147s, um, and I had a nine-dart finish with a set of Phil Taylor used darts that he'd sent me. Um, now, I could have thrown these darts from my house, and they still would have hit the board. <laughs> they were, it was like they were heat-seeking missiles. And one night, I was in the Carter's Arms pub in Sale. That's where I used to drink. That was my local and we would play darts, you know, almost, you know, every night there was a period of time. Whenever we were in there, we'd play darts. And just one random night, I threw nine perfect darts. Uh, it only happened once, but it only has to happen once. 
And I'd love, I mean, it's quite lonely when I have my AGMs and board meetings <laughs> at this club. It's quite a lonely club to be in. If there's anyone else out there on the planet listening to this who's had all three, please get in touch. There you go. I'm, I'm sure no one has. I've I've never done any of those things unless we are counting crazy golf, in which case, yeah, loads of hole-in-ones, obviously. We will put that one to bed in a few weeks' time. I've got a plan, and we're going to do it. Anyway, moving on. Martin Johnson on Twitter. I love this. Sean, admit it, commentating and playing on the same day wasn't your best idea. Yeah. Do you know, I've seen a lot of these types of things, uh, certainly over the last, you know, probably season or so. Um, I stepped into work with um, the BBC maybe four seasons ago, and... um, there was a, there was a, I think uh, it was a match I lost to Neil Robertson in the second round, where I we played a morning session, and I commentate. I was working in the studio between sessions. I played in the morning, played in the evening, and, and worked in the studio in the afternoon. And you know, looking back, I can fully accept that that was probably a mistake. I, I you know, off camera, my co-pundits, who were obviously ex-players. Um, they, 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 they took it upon themselves to educate me on that, and uh, was left in no, um, uh, you know, a regard that that was a that was a mistake. I have to say though, I think some of the criticism I've taken since stepping back into that role, um, particularly around, well, I mean, it was this year's World Championship where the criticism really came. Was there was one particular? Obviously, it was my first round match because that was the only match I played. But I think. Um, I think it was I think it was the first session of the match. Stephen Maguire and I were due to kick off at seven PM. And uh I commentated on the match at ten o'clock. And, you know, for me, that was that was that was a, a compromise working with my employer. Um, you know, they they obviously want me to do as well as I can in the event. It's good for it's good for them for one of their pundits to still be in the tournament. I obviously want to do as well as I can as well. But I think you know, I think when you when you start moving into a different world like TV, you know, I don't get to go in there and throw my weight around and tell them when I'll work and tell them when I won't. There's a bit of a negotiation takes place, a bit of compromise. And to be perfectly honest with you, if I hadn't have been working the 10 o'clock session, um, I would have been sat in my hotel room watching the 10 o'clock session. You know, I'm a massive snooker fan through and through. I've never lost that love and passion for the sport. And uh, that's something I'm, I'm very keen on, on keeping. Um, I, I didn't feel it was detrimental at all. I was still able to prepare for the 7 o'clock session exactly as I would have done anyway. I still had my uh, two 30-minute practice slots. We're only allowed to book 30 minutes, as you know. Um, and so I didn't feel it affected things in any way. Um, I enjoyed it. I think that's something that goes without being said. It, it's something I enjoy doing. And um, I'm going to carry on doing it. <laughs> And that's the end of Sean's second rant of the podcast. <laughs> wow. All right, Sean. Easy. Easy now. That was the short answer. Okay, Martin. I hope, uh, I hope Sean has, has answered your question fully and thoroughly there. I think he has. You were clean shaven when I started that answer. <laughs> I've got a full moustache now. Like <laughs> <laughs> being on a call with Freddie Mercury here. Good Lord. Oh dear. Okay. Uh, watch on Instagram. What are your favourite and least favourite cars 
and watches? That's an odd question. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, my background is actually the automotive industry, and, and I still do some work in the automotive industry. Um, Favourite cars? I, I, I worked for Land Rover for a time, so I've got to say I do love a Range Rover. However, I've been doing quite a lot of work for Porsche recently, and the Porsche Taycan, which is an electric car, is absolutely phenomenal. So my favourite car at the moment, not that I could ever actually afford one, is got to be the Porsche Taycan. As for watches, do you know, I'm an I'm a complete lover of watches. Never been able to afford or justify buying a really expensive watch. Um, I wear a running watch. I wear a Garmin, and it, it does what I need it to do. I'm one of these people. I would love a really nice watch. You know, for years I've looked at Breitlings and Patek Philippe and all this. But just never either been able to or been able to justify actually buying one. So yeah, I'm course, sure yeah, you've yeah. had all the cars and all the watches, Sean. You're forgetting the most important part of that is, you know, you're from Yorkshire. This is true. You're that tight, you only breathe in, apparently. <laughs> so you'd never spend that type of money on a watch. I think we can all accept that. So um, you've had them all. You've had every car and every watch. So what are your favourites? Yeah, no, I definitely haven't. I, I, I've, uh, you know, cars are cars are my thing. They're my thing away from, you know, obviously snooker is my biggest passion. Golf is a very close second, uh, and then you know cars. I mean, I, but I, you know, I've been very very lucky to to have some really nice cars over the years. Um, I can't tell you how they work, despite <laughs> despite having watched almost every episode of Car SOS. Uh, I would love to understand how they work, but um, yeah, I have to say, growing up, an Aston Martin was always my, you know, favourite car, uh, and I've been very lucky to be able to afford to buy uh, two Aston Martins uh, and enjoyed every single second of driving them. Um, I can't afford my dream car now; I have to keep saving up. Um, but when the day does arrive, uh, I'll be going and buying my, uh, hopefully, one and only Rolls Royce. Oh wow! There you go. Okay, so Rolls Royce, John Big, very nice. And watch, watches. Yeah, I. You know, I've, I, I, I'm definitely in that. I do have a couple of watches. I, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not. They're not like ridiculously expensive or anything. I have a one of those Amiga watches that they wore to the moon. Um, unless you're unless you're one of the conspiracy theorists who don't <laughs> think they went to the moon, they wore to that TV studio. Um, yeah, so I have one of those sort of moon landing commemorative uh, Mega watches. Sorry, just just a second. You started off by saying I don't have any really expensive watches, but I do have one of those Amigas that they wore to the moon. Yeah, it's not one. It's not an actual <laughs> one they wore to the moon. I just like to say. It hasn't got like moon dust on it or anything. Um, no, I, 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 I mean, you can spend what you want on things mm. like that, can't you? I've never been able, a bit like yourself, I've never been able to justify some of the astronomical numbers that you see people paying for watches. Although I'm told certain ones are investments, I, I, I literally can't bring it. You know, if I want to know the time, I'll look at my phone. That's fair enough, as do I. Right, let's move on. Um, Niall Greenfield on Facebook, I quite like this one. Why is Sean so good with the rest? Was it a hype thing when you were younger? Some of the greatest players have openly said they don't like using the rest. So why are you comfortable with it? And he has said that his rest, his pot success with the rest is 0%. So why are you so good with the rest, Sean? Yeah, I think there's two elements. I think you touched on one there. I I, I was very small as a, as a child when I took the game up. I played, you know, uh, almost every shot with the rest for the first, you know, few months of my life as a snooker player. Um 
so there would have been a you know a case of you know becoming fairly good at it uh, from an early age through necessity. Um, and uh, there was a time where my dad actually built me a box um, so I could stand on. Um, I think I only used it maybe a couple of times. I had a bit of a growth spurt. Um, but, yeah, I was using the rest from a very young age. I think also as well, you know, from a technical point of view, one of the most common mistakes you see if people using the rest is they make it far too complicated. And sometimes they try and play shots that are just they're just too difficult. I think, you know, keep the technique uh, simple. Um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a shameless plug, but um, on my YouTube channel, which I do intend to to sort of start up again with, um, you know, tips and helpful, you know, videos for players, uh, is a really good uh, instruction video on how to use the rest. And I talk about just keeping it simple. Um, and it's the only real, you know, it's the only real shot where you have a short backswing and a short follow through. Keep it as straight as you can, and uh, that's worked for me so far. There you go. So there is some some truth in it. That it it could have been a height thing when you were younger is one of the things that's driven you to be so good with the rest. How how crazy and bizarre. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. There you go. Uh, Judalicious on Instagram. If you had to settle down in a country not the UK or Ireland, which would you choose and why? Oh right now, this this is. I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that we are we being British people are incredibly lazy when it comes to languages. Um, I think Australia, New Zealand, or Canada for me. Australia, New Zealand. There's, there's other links there. I've got quite a few friends out there. It's they're big rugby league countries, um, and I think that you know, climate wise and everything else, it's very similar. Canada, just just a beautiful country. Um, there's a lot of European countries I like, and I speak a little bit of French, a little bit of German, a little bit of Spanish, but not enough to get by. Um, you know, Germany is a country I've always always enjoyed visiting, but. Yeah, I think probably Australia or New Zealand for me. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I, I was actually, as I was reading the question, I was going to finish by saying, and why is it Australia? <laughs> uh, I, I think for me, uh, it's Australia, um, you know, every day and, you know, twice on a Sunday. Um, I, I desperately miss the tournament we had out in Australia. I used to love the trip out there. Now, getting there is probably the reason why uh, it's not on the cards. You know, it is so far. I know it's just a day's travel. But it is such a tough journey to sit. You know, one of the legs of that flight, you know, we flew via Dubai. Um, the Dubai to uh, Melbourne, the part of that flight, is the bones of 17 hours long. <sighs> That's a long time to sit on an aircraft. Yeah. Um, having just done the seven-hour leg to Dubai as well. It, it, it's it's, in, it's incredibly tiring. Um, and, of course... The last time we went, my luggage only turned up 45 minutes before I was due to play my first round, cue and everything. It was horrific. Uh, I'd say I stank to high heaven uh, before before playing that game. Um, so that was that was a pretty horrendous experience. But there's a place just about 45 minutes, I think, north of Brisbane, and it's called Malulabar. And quite frankly, it is paradise on earth. And if, if the option ever came round, that's where I'd go. There you go. So you'd find, find Sean in Australia. Just just very, very quickly on the, the luggage thing. Uh, I was reminded the other day, a, fr- a real good friend of mine, his mum and dad went on holiday. And his dad rang him up from holiday. He said, you know, everything all right? He said, well, it, it, it's all right. He said, but they've lost one of our cases. Um, So 
they had all of his wife's clothes, but none of his, because all of his stuff was in one case. <laughs> so my mate, his son, he said to me, he said, look, do you, why don't you split your stuff between the two cases, Dad? You know, he, surely you just split the stuff between, then if one of them goes missing, as they can do sometimes, you know, you've still got stuff. So a couple yeah. of years later, they went away. Same thing happened. One of the cases went missing. So he rang his son. He said, you won't believe it. He said, one of our cases has gone missing. He said, right, did you split your stuff between the two cases this time? He said, yes, I did. The only problem is I've got all my right shoes and none of my left and your mum's got all of her left and none of her right. And he just said, you know what, Dad? I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. Can't help you there. That's horrendous. But that a true a story. Shocking. I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning it, but there's a referee who retired a few years ago called Arian Williams uh, and uh, one of the best referees we had. Great character. You know, really missed him on tour, actually. But I think it was Australia. I think it was Australia. It might have been China, but I think it was Australia. We all flew to, and it turned out in some way when he got when he got his case, it was dripping in wee. Oh no, no! And Ugh. somewhere, somewhere in the underbelly of the plane, you know, obviously because you know everything gets flushed and all the rest of it, um, wherever it goes was near his bag something had broken and the contents of everyone's bladder on that aircraft ended up in Arian's suitcase. Oh, that's it was grim. Horrific. That is really great. Let's, let's move on. Cause that's, that's grim. Um, Adam Rhodes on Instagram. What is the best way to get yourself out of a slump and get your game back? Practice harder or take a break? Great question. Yeah. I was thinking about this because I, I, I was, I was trying to, you know, I've had a few slumps, uh, and, and there's a few different types of slumps. You know, some some slumps you just have to work harder. You know, you have to get in the practice room and, and, and solve the problem. Um, you find out what's going wrong and make it better. But, you know, I think a couple of slumps, I, I, had, I had a couple of slumps and I was really helped um, by a sports psychologist by the name of Stephen Sylvester. Um, and he, he really helped me. I'd lost my sort of enthusiasm and, and passion for the game. And that, that led to some very poor performance. I hadn't forgotten how to play snooker. I just lost that pure sort of almost juvenile love of the sport. It had all got a bit serious. And my expectations of myself had changed. Uh, and uh, that led to quite a low performance for about two seasons. And he, he really helped me rediscover that. Or, as I say, almost just sort of young childlike passion for the sport. Um. And uh, that made all the difference. There you go. So it all depends what kind of slump you're in, I think, is the answer to that one then? Yeah. yeah I think so, yeah. Uh, okay, we're kicking on through them now. David Hedrick on Facebook. What's the most extravagant thing you've spent money on other than property? Okay, uh, very, very quickly, I'll just to reiterate what you said before, Sean. I'm a Yorkshireman. I don't understand extravagance. So uh, there isn't anything. I've never had a lot of money to spend. So uh, I don't think I've ever bought anything extravagant. And I think I can hand on heart say that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Sean. I I, I bought a round at the World Snooker Awards dinner once. That was horrific. (laughs) The Dorchester Hotel in London. That was was a nightmare. Won't be doing that again. Goodness me. Wow. Okay, right, I'm, I'm going to uh, loop a snooker on Twitter, right? We're getting properly into the deep stuff now. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Sean Murphy. Um, well, I, 
no, people don't actually know this about it. It's not so that I have a bit of a, I don't like the word irrational, but I have an irrational fear of horses. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I don't like horses at all. Like, I appreciate that they're beautiful animals and they're highly intelligent and, I, you know, I get it. But I'm absolutely terrified of horses. I had a really bad experience riding a horse many, many years ago. I was on one of these, like when you only go pony trekking. And, no, uh, no, no, I don't personally. Yeah, <laughs> Can sure you see you me pony trekking? I'm sure you've done a bit of pony trekking in your time. Uh, yeah, my, the horse I had was, was very badly behaved didn't want to follow the leader, certainly took no, uh, uh, you know, uh, notice of any of my instructions. I didn't know what I was doing. I like driving things that you can turn off. <laughs> you and can't, I, you, the horses don't have an off switch as far as I know. Yeah, that's a fair no. point. So, so, so anything the size of a horse uh, would just be a no. It'd have to be a hundred duck sized horses. I'm, I'm with you. you. You I'm just kick you. them. You can just kick them. Do you know what? That was my exact thought was you can just kick them. A horse-sized duck, quite frankly, that scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Look, how big is its beak, for goodness sake? It just can't get... Now, obviously, I'm not uh, advising anyone to go out there and kick any ducks or horses. That's not what I'm saying. But if you had to choose, yeah, I'd have to choose the smaller one. Yeah. Do it. No, it's it's got to be the uh, it's got to be the duck-sized horses. Right, Andrew Barrett on Twitter. I'm a hard-working WPBSA coach. Good on you, Andrew. Uh, my dream is to one day coach an up-and-coming professional. If you could give one bit of coaching advice, what would it be? Yeah, I mean that's a really tough question to answer because you know there there, there just isn't you know that one piece of advice. I I I I I detest it when coaches. They have their method, and they try and box their pupil into playing their way. There was lots of you know players went to see Frank Callan in the eighties. He was deemed the master coach, and they all came out the other end looking exactly the same. They all had the same stance, the same grip, the same bridge distance. They all cued it the same, the same amount of feathers, a big long pause at the back, and in in some way, I think a lot of those players they lost a bit of themselves going through that coaching process. So I guess there's so many pieces of advice out there, but I think try to make sure that you're always adding to the pupil, not just trying to mould them in whatever belief system you have. That's a, a very fair point. Very fair point. Uh, okay, moving on with Sandy Nicholas von Kaldenberg. I think you've just got me to read that out for a joke, that name. That, that, that is a real name on Facebook, believe it or not. You know the old chestnut about Thai Airways breaking Hendry's queue. What's the worst thing an airline has ever done to you? Well, I mean, making his suffering through Arian's uh, <laughs> disaster uh, <laughs> is up there. Um, I think I got denied access to the first class lounge once for something. I can't oh remember. God, it's hard, isn't it? Oh, the, uh, oh, the, the, the horrendous. I mean, the you know how you uh, suffered, Sean. Um. Yeah, do you know, I've been very, very lucky. I, I actually, I'm, I'm a very lucky traveller. I, I haven't really suffered many delays. I've never really had any super bad experiences. I think going all the way to Australia and getting to the other end and having no luggage uh, was a bit of a blow. Um, and there was one time I came back to Manchester from Sofia. 
And of course, you know, when I lived in Manchester, I was in and out of the airport all the time, was on first name terms with all the baggage handlers and the crew there and stuff. And I've come into a ride, picked up my luggage, and I've, there's a man waiting there for me. And he comes over and he just says, um, sorry to tell you, your queue's not here. Now, it was one flight from Sofia to Manchester. And he said, I'm really sorry to tell you, your queue's not here. I said, where is it? He said, it's in Switzerland. <laughs> I couldn't have got it more wrong. He said, it'll be here, it'll be here tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Uh, and uh, it was there the day after. But, um, do you know, they didn't even send me any chocolate or anything. They sent <laughs> the queue to the wrong country. And they didn't even send me any Swiss chocolate. Well, I think mine, mine's not an airline in particular, but mine was Manchester Airport as well, okay? Now, this is this is way back when uh, Elliot, my, my 15-year-old son, at the time, I think was about three, so we're talking 12 years ago now, going on holiday, and we're going through the one of the massive security halls at Manchester Airport, where you throw your keys and your wallet and everything in the tray, you take your belt off. So I'm throwing my keys in the tray, on my keys, there is the tiniest little pen knife, okay? Now, there was a little plastic thing on it. I used to pick, if you get food stuck in your teeth, I used it for that. I'd flown with this with this tiny pen knife loads of times, right? Anyway, I throw the keys in, and the security lady looks at me. She said, is that a knife? And I said, well, you know, sort of, I suppose. But she's, That's not a knife. <laughs> she said, you, you can't fly with it. You can't fly. I said, well, if I take it off, can you throw it in the bin? Is that okay? She said, yeah, yeah. So I'm taking it off. As I'm taking off the key ring, my three-year-old son runs straight through the security gate and he's gone. Mm. So I look up, I'm like, oh, no. So I run after him, right, just just thinking purely about my three-year-old son. This security lady, massive airport security hall in Manchester, shouts out, stop that man. Wait for it. <laughs> he's got a knife. <laughs> And I'm suddenly thinking, oh, don't do that. I get piled by security. Everyone is like literally looking at me like I'm some crazed attacker. My three-year-old son is laughing his socks off at the fact that his dad is getting stacked by security guards. So please, don't ever do that to me again. It really is not good. And do you know what? I think that is the ideal way to end the listener's questions section of the podcast. If you have a question, please get in touch with us on social media. At 147pod, that's at 147pod, the words 147pod, all across social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Before we go though, Sean, we must do our pointless question, okay? This podcast pointless question, your life is now a video game in which you are the lead character. You are allowed three cheat codes you can use. What do they do? Yeah, it's a tough one, this. Um, three cheat codes. Shall I go well, first? You go first. Go on. You okay. Go. As as was my superhero choice last week, teleportation is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Unlimited funds. Obviously unlimited funds. Who doesn't want unlimited funds? And the last one is an aging pause. So whenever I want to, I can just pause aging. You definitely need that. Wow. That's, that's, be kind, Sean, be kind. So, unlimited funds, teleportation, and an aging pause button. Well, I've written down here, and I suppose this, this, this tells a story all of its own, doesn't it? I've written down invisibility, <laughs> the ability to fly, which is going against what I said a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. against that. 
I don't think being able to speak any language is going to help me in a video game, you know, okay? So I'm, I'm taking that out. For the sake of the video game, I don't think being able to speak any language on the planet helps at all. The third one, my character would never, ever be hungry. <laughs> you're, you're taking hunger away from yourself. Taking hunger away. Not world I'm hunger. hunger. No, none of that. Just, just hunger for you. Just hunger for me. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, what would yours be? What would your cheat codes in the video game of your life be? Once again, at 147pod. That is the 147 podcast, Sean. Thought it was good. I thought it was all right, but we'll see what people think, shall we? (laughs) Sean, thank you very much. I shall see you very, very soon, I am sure. Until next time. Cheers, Sean. Take care. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.